pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. Episode 105, This the post-winter meetings 2022 episode of PGE, and like our third episode, I feel like, in the last two-ish weeks, maybe even a little bit less, Sam Levowitz, Jack Hendon, content machines out here in the month of the de- of December for you and rightfully so cuz there's a lot to talk about Jack we talked about the sadness last week of Jacob deGrom leaving the Mets to be a Texas Ranger and boy we're still feeling sad about that but there's been some whiplash yeah well we the prophecy was fulfilled Right, because we talked about the probability that like just something was going to happen immediately after our episode, and like they waited till we posted, but they did it exactly when we posted. Um, they got they got us a new best friend. Friendship with Jacob Degrom is over. Justin Verlander is my new best friend. I mean, not really, but yeah, I, I'm definitely still like stinging from the Degrom thing. I thought the Verlander news would make me feel like a lot better, and it's just kind of like. You know, we'll see. I I mean, it's a great deal, but it wasn't, it didn't hit me the way like the Scherzer deal hit me last year. Um, but I don't know, you know, maybe we're just getting spoiled, right? Like this yeah. is sort of the, I expected Steve to rage spend and the, that was a good channeling of the rage. Um, hopefully there's more to come. It seems like there is, and we'll talk about why specific with the, uh, where the payroll stands following the few moves that the Mets have made since last we spoke to you. Uh, Verlander, not the only acquisition that the Mets have made. Um, the Mets added three pitchers this week. Four, if you count the rule. Actually, you should count the rule five. So four pitchers. We'll count Zachary Blue Green in there, too. Dumbass real- name. Dumbass <laughs> name. It's his real middle name. Zach blue green zach does he green. have is it a two middle name is it zach blue clue green no it's literally blue the color yeah. spelled the same way so uh he was the rule five pick from the yankees well we can touch on that briefly later uh, you know dc is a buzzy name as as far as rule five guys tend to go so an interesting ad probably in that william wood category uh so four pitchers to the major league roster added essentially Justin Verlander being the primary guy uh, with Jose Quintana behind him to fill out one of those mid to back end rotation spots. Uh, Also on a two year deal like Verlander. Uh, And then in addition to green in the bullpen, the Mets traded Keyshawn Askew, a left-handed relief prospect with a decent ceiling struck at like 12 guys per nine this year uh, in the minors for, Another left-handed pitcher in Brooks Raley coming off of a very, very strong year for the Rays. Another thing we'll touch on more later. So, four arms. You've got your DeGrom replacement. And with Taiwan Walker heading off to uh, Philadelphia on a pretty expensive contract. Good for Taiwan. We'll see him plenty in 2023 against the Mets. Uh, You have your Taiwan replacement essentially in Quintana. And before we kind of dive into those moves, Jack, you mentioned the, the prophecy we talked about last week, how we felt something was coming. They were talking to Rodon. They were talking to Verlander. We talked at length last week about our thoughts of Verlander versus Rodon. 
And now it seems like the prophecy, if we're if we're putting prophecies out into the world, it feels like that pin could drop with Kodai Senga pretty much any moment. So putting that prophecy out. Last week we were talking about how it felt imminent that they were going to sign someone to replace DeGrom at the winter meetings. And now it feels very much like they're not done on the pitching staff. They're not done on the starting pitching staff. Oh, yo, yo, hey, hey, Brandon Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo. No way. Yeah, 8162. <laughs> this go. is live. Let's go. This is a live reaction. Brandon Nimmo is coming back to the Mets. Wow. John Heyman, Joel Sherman tweeting it together that the Mets are in agreement with Brandon Nimmo to return eight years and $162 million. Oh, my goodness. Well, that changes. Oh I think that changes the rundown a little bit of the episode. No. Yes. Sign Kodai Senga, too. They can do yes. both. We're blowing right on past that threshold. That is a crazy low AAV for him, though. That can't be right. That's like 20 and a quarter per year. That's. Oh, man. Yeah. Right? Hold on. Let's. Yeah. I I mean, wow. Okay. First of all, the shock that this is happening. So. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a shade over 20 a year. Yeah. He must have really wanted to be a Met. I mean, for a Boris client to to get that and do it, like, all right, well, hey, that, listen, that hits. That hits the spot. That hits better than the Diaz deal, for sure. No disrespect to Edwin. I would say it's hitting about the same. I'm pretty thrilled. Yeah. You know what? This is really cool. This is really, really cool because – they the two of the three big free agents who we were like yeah let's make them a lifetime met make yeah. them a met for the rest of their careers you know in this day and age in baseball where it really doesn't feel like guys stick around on one team for their entire careers or in edwin's case for the majority of one's career after that trade it's pretty cool to you know eight years down the road brandon emmo is uh is probably gonna hang up the cleats so Yep. We got a lifetime met here, probably. Yeah, that's cool. That doesn't. I'm happen very anymore. happy. The offense is probably preserved at this point, right? I mean, it would be cool if they added someone to catch and you know got James McCann out of there, or maybe found a better righty than Darren Ruff. But like, you know, you'll get a full season of Brett Beatty. You'll get a full season of Francisco Alvarez. Like, this is like a really good offense, and I think that. It's really if I like we said, get Senga too. Uh, but there was going to be a discussion I think that we would have had on this episode about if we were to have chosen one option, uh, who would we have taken? I would have taken Nimmo just because the options beneath him on the outfield market right now, not very good. Um, oh, we talked it, about it at length last week too. Right, that was well, thing we talked about, and with Bellinger off the board too. Yeah. It really felt like if there was a backup plan, we didn't get to talk about this aspect necessarily yeah. last week, but if there was a backup plan, it wasn't going to be a free agent. It was yeah. going to have to be on the trade market. It was going to have to be like a, a, a David Peterson flip kind of situation if you could right. find someone where you could do that. And they're just, again, like perusing those options. It didn't really feel like there was an area where – the, uh, the trade values lined up and you got a legitimate starter who could play center field. Uh, 
quality center field. This was mm-hmm. always going to be the perfect move for the Mets yeah. in center field. And we just got our live reactions yeah. on the podcast. I mean, that rivals the uh, the Mariners-Braves game in terms of live things that happened on PGE. That's pretty, pretty cool. I, those, might be the, the, those might be the only two. Uh, I'm pretty sure most – our record is pretty bad on this stuff. We usually – and when – you know, we've had a couple live reactions to like – I think we did a live of Aaron Loop when he left, um, which is yeah. like, eh, you know, that's not really a bad, bad, but that's the only other moment that I can think of where we had a, a live reaction that was anything as strong as either of those two. But uh, yeah, it's, it's real too. I mean, obviously yeah. this is real. This is a, like Jeff Passon is uh, corroborating yeah. it. He did his little tweet. It's no and... arson judge. No, it's no arson judge. That saga was hilarious Um, oh man how do you think giants fans felt about that probably pretty bad probably really bad if they truly are the front runners for correa then that'll i think help the sting i mean they they were a pivot point for nemo they were a guy that that you probably expected hey they lost the the big ticket free agent and judge they wanted two outfielders they signed mitch hanniger that was kind of an under the radar move that i think is really solid for them Mm -hmm. if he stays healthy you think maybe, oh, well, they could pivot to Nimmo if they have money to spend on an outfielder. But they really want star power. Brandon is a great player. He's just not a star. So I think pivoting to Correa makes a lot of sense for them. Sure. This is this is huge. I mean, this really does shore up the Mets on both sides of the ball. You have your leadoff hitter. You have a guy in Nimmo who is capable of putting up a low to mid eights OPS. Uh, he was a five-win center fielder. He was a plus glove in center field. He's a plus runner, a guy that yep. gets on base at a huge clip. If he even hits for a little bit more power, you're looking at, you're looking at an all-star. You're looking at a guy who, uh, at his best, really catalyzes your offense. So this is huge. Uh, Jeff Passan um, is saying that it's, you know, this is true. The second nine-figure re-signing by the Mets this winter along – with Edwin Diaz, they stretch the deal out to eight years, which lowers that AAV and the collective bargaining tax hit. Uh, and Nimmo gets more guaranteed money. How about this? More guaranteed money than George Springer. I mean, I used to pray for times like these. I, I, I used to pray for. I mean, can you imagine a Wilpon regime with like? I'm really trying not to fanboy too hard about all this. But, like, can you imagine a Wilpon regime with three outgoing free agents, all of whom were going to command hundreds of millions of dollars and no. any of them coming back? Not let alone a little bit. One, let alone two. Um, Recoup the draft pick and, you know, yeah. you know, and, leave it at that. You know, I Andy mean, Martino's tweeting that they're not out on Senga now either. They're still I out on Senga. I, I mean, the big catch here is that, you know, once they got above two hundred ninety million on the payroll, which they did with the signings of Verlander and Quintana, it, basically at this point, the only penalty is that you're going to pay ninety cents on the dollar for every dollar over that you go, and like that's just not something that Steve Cohen seems to care much about. You've already gotten knocked down your one draft pick by ten spots, and like they're doing all sorts of R and D and self scouting improvement to, and obviously it'll take a long time, but they're doing their due diligence to make sure that they get better at developing players so that it won't even hurt the next time they have to, you know, draft and pick from lower down in the bin. 
Um, this is this we is have more. We have more. Oh what my goodness, it? we have more. <laughs> what is it? It's uh, David Robertson to the Mets. Yeah. No, get out. One year, ten mil. Wow, that is a also a steal. Well, goodbye, Adam Ottavino, I guess. Listen, it doesn't seem like they're choosing between anyone at this point. That's no, I mean, they're, if they're still in on Senga, clearly they want to really shore up the uh, rotation. They don't want just Quintana to be, you know, the three guy. Uh, they want to take their bet on on Senga. They really do. I agree with them for that. I think Senga's got a chance to be really, really good. This, I mean, this is this is incredible. If anything else drops during this recording session, I, I don't even know what I'm gonna do. Like this is like the night that they traded uh, for Andres Torres and then signed Frank Francisco and John Roush, uh, all in one off all in one uh, winter meetings. Do you remember this? Was this during your time? Yeah, this was during my time. I was younger, obviously. Do I get yeah, my? Yeah, that was that was a good time. Staying up till eleven, getting that news. Oh man, I I mean I this is this is up there. I think, but no, seriously, this is great. Uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about Brooks Raley yet, but there's definitely some decisions that they. I mean, they're not. They're really now two for two in terms of the major league signings that they've given out to relievers. These are both really, really good options behind Diaz. Um, obviously, they serve different purposes and have different skills, but uh, I like those decisions that they're making a lot more than I liked trading for Joely Rodriguez, uh, even if Joely turned out kind of okay. Like these are these are calls that off the bat, it, you, you feel good about them. <laughs> Their payroll is at a third of a billion dollars. Yeah, and it's not – they're not done. And they're not done. They're not <laughs> what done. What is happening? Senga's it's, next. Senga's got to be next. It's, it's got to be. Uh, they're basically – okay, so there are – Martino just tweeted, uh, Mets are signing David Robertson per source. I'm told that's it for tonight. Are you not entertained? We okay. are entertained, Andy, not because of you. Uh, but this is, uh, this is fun. I mean, if we get one of these nights every off season, like what well, last year we had the, the period with the, the, the signing, the three outfielders or position players on one day, whatever that was, Escobar, Marte and Canna, like all back to back to back. That was a really like I'm getting my words jumbled because I'm excited. It's a good night to be a Mets fan because it's Brandon's coming night. back. You got your leadoff hitter. I wish I really do want there to be like more power in this lineup. Still, I want them to find a little bit more power here. Uh, If Alvarez and Beatty are legit contributors, I think they'll contribute plenty of power. So maybe that's what you get uh, in terms of that stuff. But man, this is this is something else. We we had a whole segment planned for later in this episode. Where do you go to fill out the rest of this roster post winter meetings? Uh, number one was going to be Nimmo, and then number two was going to be addressing the bullpen if you know they finish up the rotation. So uh, they're doing mm-hmm. that tonight. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, with Rayleigh and Robertson in tow, this bullpen looks a lot better than it did just two days ago. I think that they'll still probably need one more arm. I think just because of how many are departing and how few they have from their 
depth options to choose from. And mind you, I understand that they've added a couple in the last couple of weeks, but um, you know, there are not many Drew Smiths. There's only one Steven Nagosik. Uh, I, I'm, I don't really want to read articles in March about how exciting a prospect Grant Harwig is. Um, I would really just, I think, prefer something safe because at this point, what you've done is you've replaced Jolly Rodriguez with Brooks Raley, which is a huge improvement. You've replaced Adam Adovino potentially with David Robertson, which is probably about the same. It's it's like a lateral call. Um, but hope, you, yeah. you still have Michael Givens, who's out. You still have Seth Lugo, who's out. Um, those are, you still have Trevor May, who's out, right? There are still a number of spots that will conceivably be going to uh, – pitchers who aren't as proven and I think like it's not that I don't trust the the people that they've hired recently uh I just trust them I trust these acquisitions more as depth um as sort of next level uh you know the next negosic sort of moves more than I trust them as here you go seventh inning is yours kind of guys yeah it's it's become very apparent that this is not a regime that is going to let glaring holes stay open. No. That's abundantly clear. That if there are options to fill a gap on a roster, they are going to fill it with the best possible option. The only legitimate option, as we mentioned, for center field for a team that's coming off a 101 win season and wants to do that again and this time win the division, they might even have to be better. Yeah. People want to win the division is yeah. You, the you Phillies, need, right? You like, need your center fielder back. The Phillies are really that. knocking on a door. Yeah, the it's... Phillies did a lot this week too. Before we uh touch upon any of that, uh our friend of the pod, Mike Mayer. Also corroborating that sources are telling him that Senga is still in play for the Mets after Nimmo and Robertson uh, sign on. So, pretty good. <laughs> pretty, you can't call him Bedtime Billy anymore. You can't. Yeah. He's doing his thing. He's making moves. We are, we are very thrilled uh, to uh, be on the pod tonight. And we considered not even recording tonight. We thought about pushing it back. Yep. No, Took no. a nice coffee. Here I am. That's that's what I did. Yeah. Sat down and put up a whole script, man. This is and and they just kind of they really just flipped it and they literally flipped the script on us. Um. So what? There are who are the good free agents left? Then there are only like four of them. There's Senga and Rodon for pitchers, and Bassett too. I mean, he's just probably he's a. I, yeah, I mean, I'm talking like top of their top yeah. of their class. It's so, those two, and then Correa and Swanson. Yeah, and I can't really think of anyone else who who would get, you know, who would a bunch of teams would fight over. A lot of guys went off the board during the winter meetings. It was a very hot stove. A uh, lot of guys. A lot of guys. We talked Bellinger being off the board. Uh, Andrew Heaney is off the board. The Rangers got him. Uh, Jamison Tyone is off the board. He's a Cub. Uh, who else? Well, Xander Bogarts going to the Padres. 
massive contract. I mean, crazy. I mean, what's happening in Boston, man? I it's they're not happy. I'll tell you that much. Time Bloom is really good. Can you imagine the timeline? Like just the, I mean, the Twitter timeline, but also the literal, you know, quantum real life timeline. How that ha- you know, how different that is if uh, the Mets go left when they maybe ended up going right. And instead of Brody Van Wagenen being in the chair, it was Heim Bloom. Like I, obviously things would have changed potentially in a, in a Cohen ownership, but like right. this yeah. is, I was very pro Heim Bloom at the time. And I see what's happening in Boston. Like it, it makes me sad. Listen, they still do a lot of things right as an organization, but you imagine he's a little hamstrung at points by ownership tends to happen across it might not just be bloom that's fair yeah it's he probably brought him in because they were going to go in in this direction which is pretty unfortunate although i do think them giving out that contract to yoshida is a misallocation of resources because that was confusing that was a weird move to me because he did seem a bit expensive uh and i i i mean the comps are like Luis Arise, you're maybe trading a little bit of hit for a little bit of power. Yeah. Um, he's not a great defender. He's a corner outfielder. He can run, but he's not that fast. And it was kind of a lot for someone who was not that sought after, I would say. Well, he, uh, I mean, he'd been posted for like less than two days when this yeah. deal came out. You have 30, once you're posted as a Japanese player, you have 30 days to sign. That's what makes Senga a little bit different. Is because he didn't even he didn't get posted. He's just a free agent. Yeah, uh, simplest way that I could put that. Um, so there's no posting fee with um, Yoshida. It wasn't just the ninety million dollars to him over the five years. It was like a fourteen million dollar posting fee uh, yeah. that the Red Sox also owe. So that doesn't you know that doesn't hit the uh, tax threshold, the CBT, whatever. But you know, it's still money that they have to pay. You know, it's not an insignificant sum of money um, to to pay. Yeah, it was a weird move for me, but I, you know, he wasn't someone I would want the Mets to go after. Anyways, he's interesting. Well, he's left-handed hitting power option. They need right-handed hitting power option. Yeah, they need some right-handed power. I thought Mitch Hanniger could have been an interesting fit. Yeah, uh, but that would have probably required them to push Starling Marte to center and would have precluded them likely from signing Nimmo unless they went in the in the route of like pushing Mark Canna to like a pure bench role yeah which is also probably foreseeable uh not I not that I would have done it but it's something that would have made some sense if you'd signed a guy um there's still JD Martinez I guess like there's still Nelson Cruz, as John Heyman is pointing out. I really, I love the the time in the off season, by the way, where John Heyman just posts about guys who don't have teams and are sort of on the bubble as far as whether they'll get signed again or not. Like he posted about Cole Hamels too. Um, he loves to do these like agent side leaks a lot. Oh yeah, um, the agent sends him a text and says, "Yeah, tweet, tweet this for me," and he's like, "Got it." He's got. He's probably going to be doing more of those now that uh, team sources are a little probably a little bit finicky to you know hesitant to send him info after the Aaron Judge thing which was just that was a that was a bob moment that was really a bob moment it was 
It was a Bob moment. It was, okay, so here's my take on that, is that that had to be a strategy from somebody. I don't know who, but there there had to be an intentional leak to drum up whatever negotiation tactic that who, I don't know. It makes yeah, well, the, they said that the San Francisco uh, trip or whatever was sort of a staged uh move on judge on the part of judge's team uh i don't know i mean i i really don't have the whole book on who's credible and not credible when it comes to stuff like that but they really pulled pr strings which makes the fact that he went back to the yankees uh a little interesting to me uh especially when the padres offered him a lot more money the padres went one for three in this uh because it started with judge and then it went to trey turner uh, who also said no to him, to them in favor of the Phillies. I, he wanted to stay East. I guess Judge really wanted to stay with the Yankees, but I don't well, know. yeah, I mean, the, uh, uh, allegedly the contracts wound up being even what the Giants offered Judge and what the Yankees offered Judge. Um, and I guess he just wasn't considering the Padres, frankly, because they were also their offer was also extremely competitive, but. <laughs> The Yankees' offer was a year in in what forty million, like a, a year of salary short, and they got Hal Steinbrenner on on the phone, and they asked Judge, you know, Hal asked Judge if he wanted to be a Yankee, and and Judge said, "Yes, I do." And then Hal said, "All right, instead of an eight year contract, it's a nine year contract. So there you go. Will you sign now?" And he said, "Yeah." Uh, it would have been very funny, I think, because we had talked about the the possibility that the Yankees would have sort of won up the Mets in losing a franchise player. I think that would have made for some pretty good TV um, if Aaron judge had, had gone elsewhere, but you know, I have enough friends who are Yankee fans that like, I'm happy for them. It's not really fun losing a guy like that. And um, there would have been an insurrection outside Yankee stadium. If he had left. Certainly. Uh, You can't let that guy go. Yeah. You really sounded for a second that he was gonna, but you can't let that guy go. So as of now, Spot Track is tweeting this out. Uh, with the apparent agreed upon contracts for Nemo and Robertson, the Mets opening day projected opening day tax payroll sits at exactly $333 million. It would equate at the moment to a $65 million tax bill at year's end. In other words, a $398 million total tax payroll for the 2023 season, by far a record. Wow. And they're not done. I like that Resnick tweet. Did you see what Jacob Resnick tweeted? Uh, I don't think I did. They named a Steve Cohen tax after Steve Cohen, and he literally responded by spending more money. <laughs> yeah. This is exa- I mean, this is what this is what the other owners feared, right? Yeah. Well, it's going to change. Honestly, I love what I've seen this offseason in terms of the money that's gone around. I definitely feel like it's and I don't know if this is because it's all fresh off the heels of that the new CBA, but it's it's been a pretty encouraging offseason. You don't see a whole lot of guys that are just sort of waiting around for contracts. Um the AAVs are good. Uh, teams are spending more money, it seems, at least the, the big market teams. I know we just talked about the Red Sox plan because uh, I think it's it's silly what they're doing. But, you know, the Padres and Phillies 
saw their windows this you know this postseason and they're really going for it like clubs are going to do that you mentioned the giants being in on star power they're not done after signing mitch haniger um i wonder if they're still in the running for like carlos rodon um i don't really have any sources on that but that's going to that's going to be i mean because if you see what's you know what justin verlander and jacob de grom have commanded here uh carlos rodon has a lot more years he has a very high upside and his camp is probably pounding the table for more years and similar aav uh will they get that similar aav probably not uh but they'll push for something up there for sure i mean you look at what taiwan walker is making too it's it's he's uh 72 million for four years that's 18 million a year and four years for Walker is pretty good for a guy that was our fourth starter. Yeah. I mean, the pitching market is insane. You talk about what Taiwan got. You also talk about how Jamison Tyon got more or less the same contract, sparing a few million dollars for the Cubs instead of 72 over four years. It's I think 68 over four years. Uh, The pitching market is insane. And you're right. Carlos Rodon is going to get paid big time, big time money. And, if if Kodai Senga was coming off of major league success and not Japanese success, this is a guy who would probably be in the neighborhood for the same kind of contract that Rodon is uh, is going to get. I mean, Rodon Rodon is thirty. He's coming off of his two healthiest and best seasons in a pitching market where the best pitcher on the market got five years and one hundred and eighty five million dollars. So yeah. it stands to reason that. If he's not asking for six, at least, then he's doing it wrong. Um, I think he's going to get six, maybe seven, I think. I mean, the Giants are allegedly still in play for Rodon. They're serious about spending some money, too. They just haven't really found the big ticket item yet. I do think that if I had to guess, probably the Yankees with Carlos Rodon. Uh, In fact... I'm fairly surprised that it hasn't happened yet because it, it sounded like they were making a push for him. But um, yeah, I f- that feels like something that could be inevitable on, on in my opinion. But also the Giants are still in play there. I'm sure there's other teams that he's talking to. Um, again, I mean, I went on record last week saying that he's – the guy that I probably would have preferred over Verlander, but yeah, you know, I mean, if the Mets, <laughs> if we're giving eight years to Brandon Immo and uh, the five years to Edwin, you know, maybe it's it's not the worst thing in the world to have some of these shorter contracts coming off the books in in two years. So, yeah, you know what? It's a good time to maybe extend someone too. Do it right. Spend Pete Alonzo, the- Jeff McNeil. Spend all the money. I, I I think either of them could could definitely uh earn one, hopefully before spring training because usually once the spring starts it gets a lot harder to do this. Um, all right, so backing up, the Phillies, that lineup is really good. I don't know if you've seen the projected lineup and actually stacked everyone up and figured out just how ridiculously lethal the offense is. The defense will continue to be the defense, but. You know, Turner at short, um, you know, will take a while, but Harper, DH, or I guess their leadoff guy is Schwarber. I don't remember the order, but 
those nine guys, yeah. Turner, Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Hoskins, Stott, Marsh, Realmuto, like it's ridiculous. A it's so a scary. Brandon it's... Marsh being your worst hitter is like it's a good unit. It's a really good unit. I don't I the pitching will always be a mystery to me, I think. But the annoying thing I think um about this is that it doesn't really feel like the Mets have climbed to a point where they are head and shoulders above anybody in the NL East that's competing. Um, right. Like they're obviously better than the Marlins and Nationals, but the Phillies are going to be nipping at their heels. We know how the Braves do this because of the pace that they played at for basically every month that was in April. Um, the good thing, I guess, is that, you know, they're not playing in the division as often. They're changing the schedule up, which will benefit the Mets. Yeah, you uh, replace a turn around the the division with a turn against the AL Central, you know? Yeah. Like, like you get you get every team in baseball for a series at least. But every team's going to feed off of that too, you know? It's not like the Phillies are going to have a harder time catching up to the Mets because they will also be playing the Royals and Tigers at some point. Um and the Mets also probably suffer a little by not playing the Marlins and Nationals as much as they did this past year. Yeah, you, um, hope, it, you hope it it uh, balances out, I guess. Right. Well, the AL also doesn't – I don't know. Does it feel like the AL isn't trying as hard? Um, I don't know because you have these teams that are sort of – it's unclear just how ready they are to compete. Um, like the twins, I'm not so sure about because they continue to develop these pitchers, um, every year who, who do something interesting. You have the Orioles who might actually compete for, you know, best non, you know, one of the higher wildcard seeds, at least. I mean, they're really, really good. I think you could conceivably put the Rangers in that group, although their de- ability to develop pitchers is obviously, uh, minimized they have good hitting prospects uh so there are teams that aren't really spending that much money but could still conceivably be good uh but the bad teams in the al are very bad um i think the bad al teams are trying less than the bad nl teams listen so the dodgers are the dodgers that's not changing the braves haven't really added besides joe amenez but they're still good they're still the braves yeah the phillies have added significantly with padres turn walker the padres are trying to spend as much money as possible apparently uh, and they have gotten better with uh xander bogarts and they'll have tatis back too yeah and whatever form that winds up looking like as an outfielder or whatever um the giants are trying to spend money uh, you go to the NL Central, the Cubs, I don't really like the pieces they're spending the money on, but they're spending money. Uh, the Cardinals signed Wilson Contreras. Yep. That's a lot better than Yadier Molina. Yeah, I, like the opposite kind of catcher. I mean, he's a yeah. guy who, he's probably only going to catch every day for like the first two years of that contract because he's just not a very good a defensive catcher, but he could hit. Uh, and then you look at the American League and like, yeah, the Rangers are trying, but is the core outside of the stars that they've brought in on big money deals outside of Semyon, Seager, and DeGrom, is is the core enough to compete? You know, does Andrew Heaney stay healthy? Does the core stay healthy? 
Yeah. Does DeGrom stay healthy? There's question marks with the Rangers. Have they built up that team enough uh, outside the stars in the core? And then you look elsewhere around the league. Why are the Orioles or the Mariners not like the Mariners? I think JP Crawford is fun. Like as a person, as a dude, his energy is great. Good defensive shortstop. You look at his offensive numbers, they leave a lot to be desired. Like, why are they not in the market for Correa? You know? Are they not? I know they were in the market for Nimmo. The Mariners? Yeah. It seems like they are looking it up. And they made the trade for Colton Wong, which was a huge improvement over Adam Frazier, I think. Um, Right. I, I agree with you in that regard. But I don't think it's a huge upgrade. I like Colin had a good year. Yeah. But I don't know if it's a huge upgrade. Like, what is the argument against them signing Swanson or Correa? I just don't get it. I don't see. I, I don't, I don't get it either, but I think that. Cause they're right there. Yeah. I think they probably do still have a shot. I haven't been following the day to day on who's in that closely just because i've been bombarded with who's signing where updates all the time and also i have a i have a day job so it's hard for me to keep track of these things but um i know that the mariners were interested in nimmo at the outset of the offseason and i also you know i think that they are trying uh i think that they're sort of they've sort of morphed into a brewers raise situation in my eyes where obviously those two teams spend a lot less money but they have the same ability to basically churn out good pitching, churn out decent cheap hitting. Uh, I trust them to win next year. I think they have a good process. The Angels, though, don't think they're trying. Nope. The Athletics, no way. Not Tigers, don't know what's going on. Royals, don't think they have a clue. I would potentially lump the Red Sox in there, too. Right now. Uh, yeah. Because just they're really making like weird decisions, but they're lacking an identity right now a bit. I would say. Yeah. Um, Who's playing short with Bogart's gone. Probably uh Jeter downs, right? They probably, yeah. They probably give Jeter downs an extended look. Yeah. Is I mean, he that good? He probably can't hit. Yeah. Okay. That's just the thing though, is that like the Mariners, so they didn't get the year they wanted out of Jesse Winker. He's gone. He went to the Milwaukee in the Colton Wong trade, right? Yes. Mitch Hanniger, who had been there forever, he's a giant now. So where do you go in the outfield? You have Julio in the outfield. And then... They probably really like Kelnick, and they probably really like Taylor Trammell. Well, they're stuck with Kelnick, and, and Trammell really hasn't done anything. Yeah. Well, they haven't given him, like, that much of a chance. I don't know. He gets hurt a lot. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's just weird to me that they're not trying to do more. But the outfield market is bad. We get that. Uh, now the best outfielder on the market besides Judge, both Judge and Nimmo are off the market, which feels good to say. Um, it, there's not a lot left. No, it's the outfield market is pretty much Andrew Benintendi, Jerks and Profar, and then like Joey Gallo, Brandon Drury. Like I'm actually a little surprised Gallo hasn't gotten any bites just because of the shift going away. Michael Conforto. That's right, Michael Conforto. Washington native. Michael Conforto. He could go to the Mariners. I'm curious to see how that market... I'm really just 
on a totally separate note, I am excited to see Michael Conforto play baseball again next year because I feel like every once in a while I do forget that he's around and he will be back. I really hope he gets a good one-year deal and then next year turns it into something much bigger because um, I think that'd be cool. I think that'd be fun. We have not talked about Jose Quintana and I think yeah. it might be a good opportunity for us to just analyze uh, the kind of pitcher the Mets are getting because there's some mixed opinion on this because the statistics are kind of mixed, right? He was really, really bad last year. Very, very good this year. Um, yeah, that's so I think that a lot of it with Quintana comes down to the fact that it almost felt like he was going Julio Tehran mode where like good pitcher, decent pitcher for a while for most of his career. Oh, now he's unplayably bad and should be out of baseball. That wasn't the case this year because he was legitimately very, very good this year under three ERA. um, I think what did he lead baseball in home runs per nine? Uh, just like insane ground ball guy, uh, 2.93 ERA, 165 innings, made 32 starts between, uh, the Pirates and the Cardinals. I I, listen after he was so bad for the Angels. This is he turned himself into a a good, good pitcher. I, I, Um, I think I trust him. I think I trust him enough to, uh, to give him this, this contract. Yeah. I think it's probably. I mean, we talked about how much money some of these pitchers are making, and we saw how much money Taiwan Walker's making. Uh, Quintana's getting $13 million a year for two years. It's a pretty safe contract. Not that the Mets are really counting the dollars anymore, but like in terms of market value, it's pretty good. Uh, he made some changes that aren't anything to really sneeze at. He sort of ditched the slider, and he now sort of throws this curveball that has more or less the same spin that it had, but it's now getting much more soft contact. He's pitching to contact a lot, which is always going to be a bit of an issue, especially like we talked about with the shift going away. A lot of pitchers are going to regress. Well, I think it, do I think it will be like a Marcus Stroman regression? Probably not because he is a little bit of a fly ball pitcher. Still the ground ball rate isn't like that high. It's really that he keeps the ball in the yard. Um, but he's hitting his spots. He he had a little bit of a walk problem with the Angels in that really, really bad year. Had a lot of strikeouts, but a lot of home runs and a lot of walks. Uh, he has dialed that back. Uh, it's obviously caused him to give up a little bit on the strikeout stuff, but he's 33 and he doesn't throw very hard. And he really only has the curveball to play off. Like the changeup is not have a very good run value. Um, he's somebody that conceivably if he continues to exercise good control of his pitches will be a fine fourth or fifth starter. I know we read about the possibility that the Mets would trade Carlos Carrasco. If somehow he got squeezed, I really don't think that's going to happen just given how much they need pitching depth and how good David Peterson will be as pitching depth, how good uh, Tyler McGill might be as starting pitching depth as well. And I would imagine, because they also might want to bring back Trevor Williams uh, they're not going to relinquish that kind of role in their bullpen. We talked about guys who were leaving. Uh, I forgot. I neglected to mention Williams because that is a he was invaluable for them last year, and they definitely will want somebody like that. Um, yeah, they were tied to Ross Stripling this week, but Stripling yeah. was more of a starter this year yeah. than Williams was, but still both guys do both pretty well this year. 
yeah yeah it's like i trust him enough i think clearly he figured something out because he cut 10 percent off of his hard hit rate he halved his barrel percentage more than half just about halved actually a little bit more and with uh, the pirates no less yeah like this is like he, he <laughs> you have to assume that these were adjustments he was probably not making on his own but it's not like he was doing this as a ray or dodger yeah which by the way if he did it as a ray like brooks Rayleigh has done some cool stuff as a ray like it's not the it's not necessarily that it wouldn't translate but when you're doing it with a team that is not known for providing a lot of resources like it makes a big deal um at least that's how i feel about it i think that if you end your offseason with a rotation of well first of all i mean we haven't actually talked a lot about the the problem that arises from Justin Verlander. We talked about it last week, but you do have two very, you know, wrong side of 30 going on 40 guys at the top of your rotation. Quintana at 33 is not necessarily that young either as a pitcher. Um, and you really, Carrasco. And there's Carlos Carrasco, right. So that, that, that spot in between them, it's all the more reason that I think Rodon would have been great as the Verlander guy. Uh, but with that ship sailed, like, you can just get Senga as opposed to Chris Bassett, who's older. Uh, and that will at least help a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, continue piling on with depth. Hopefully. Um, I mean, that'll be an ongoing discussion. Uh, I liked some of the moves that, that they made. Uh, I thought that we talked a little bit about uh, Zach Green. He's kind of interesting just because he's a Yankee farmhand and, you know, Garrett Whitlock was a pretty good Yankee farmhand, right? Like, yeah, Trevor Stepan, right? Like there, they, there is a record of uh, good relievers getting selected in rule five drafts from the Yankees and having pretty good baseline stuff. The Yankees produce a lot of these quality fastball slider reliever guys. Yeah. uh, Too many for them to roster. So this is what happens. Yeah. They're sort of what I wish the Mets were in terms of their ability to just, you know, pull out relief guys just out of, you know, out of their development, you know, out of their camps. More yeah, or you generally probably want three Zach Greens in AAA at any given time that you can pull up. The Yankees did that last year. I mean, Ron Marinaccio is the first name that comes to mind. Yeah. As a guy who came up out of AAA wasn't a buzzy name, but he became like the fourth best reliever in that bullpen, like pretty much overnight. Yeah. Um, I mean, Clay Holmes obviously was an outside acquisition, but another guy that they kind of fixed. Yeah. They do, they do this. This is a Yankee. This is a very Yankee. It's a very Yankee thing that they do. Yeah. Giovanni Gallegos wasn't a very like high profile reliever either when he came up, but he's, he's turned out pretty good with St. Louis. I mean, that's not to take away from what the Cardinals may be doing with their pitchers. Cause like, Helsley is great. Yeah, we are, um, we're pretty – what is that? That's five or th- four or five years at this point? It's they... it's pretty far back. It was the Luke Voigt trade. It was, like, yeah. I guess that's a that's not a great example. Um, but look, I mean, the thing about Green is because it's a major league rule five pick, he has to be on the opening day roster or else he's out of here. Uh, so yeah, he's not – Yeah, he's not really the same kind of depth option. Like you can't option him 
for a while, if ever. Um, I'm not familiar with how those rules have changed in the new CBA, if they have at all, but... I don't think they have. I think it's the, still the same kind of, if he's healthy, you have to carry him on the active roster thing. Yeah. Who was the last Rule 5 guy they had? It's been a while since they picked one. Well, okay. The I know the last one that they picked that survived the season was Sean Gilmartin. That's right. Yep. But they've picked guys since, like Kyle Dowdy. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. He they, ended up latching on, like, somewhere for a minute. Didn't they? They picked, uh, was Birch Smith a Rule 5 guy who they immediately traded? There's yeah. been a couple. There's been a couple of pick a guy, immediately flip him, which you which teams do sometimes. They didn't lose anyone in the – they lost Trey Cobb, who wasn't really – that was a minor league rule five. They didn't lose anyone in the major league rule five draft. They lost Jake Mangum, Jack. They no, he was a player to be named later. It's it's different. They but chose they still, to trade him. It's not yeah. even like he got claimed. They chose to get rid of him. No, they lost him. Yeah, that's I agree with you. Uh, Boy, I can't wait till the, the the farm system is at a point where like you can trade Jake Mangum or Keyshawn Askew and just not have to deal with all the blowback of getting rid of a guy that people watched video of like once or twice and decided was a prospect. Like Askew might actually be very interesting because he pitches from a cool slot and he's a lefty with the wipeout slider. Um, his ceiling is cool reliever. I think Yeah. Uh, people are talking about him. Like he's a five starter. And I think that's kind of, it's a little generous. I mean, listen, I hope whenever I talk about these guys, like in, in a negative, I hope that I'm wrong. Uh, I think it's cool when young baseball players get better and turn out really, really successful, and the Rays will give them that chance to do it. But the Mets don't really have the tools to make guys, uh, you know, complete yet. And this is part of why this process of developing is going to take a lot of years because they're still going to need to trade a bunch of the guys that they can develop for ready big leaguers like Brooks Raley. Um, like that's just going to be an ongoing project for them. Um, but hopefully they have enough guys that it won't matter as much because Jake Mangum is definitely an example of someone who I think Met fans developed an attachment to because he might literally be the only outfield prospect, uh, prospect, right? I mean, the the criteria here is, has not played in a major league game, uh, is under 28, uh, and got drafted in the last couple of years. That is a fairly arbitrary number because he'll be 27 on opening day. Yeah, I, I, I just, right? Like, well, it's. Yeah. I mean, this is, I tweeted this the other night. Like, literally, you get these guys every February as non roster invites. The Mets literally got the same player last year as a non roster invite, and he spent a significant portion of the year on the major league roster. He's Travis Jankowski. Yeah. He's got some semblance of a hit tool. You don't know how it translates to the majors yet. He might hit 260, but he won't hit for power. Yeah, uh, He runs well, but it's not elite speed. He plays a good center field, but it's not elite center field defense. He's just the guy that's there. I don't know. There's no carrying tool. He's just a dude. Yeah, He's not a prospect. He's not somebody that you have to guard. No one around baseball picked him. 29 teams had the chance to pick him in the Rule 5 draft, and he survived it. And then the team that 
employed him, who left him available to get chosen by 29 other teams, still said, ah, you get, you can take him. Well, listen, now that he's a Marlin, you know that there are going to be at least two games in September where he, like, runs circles around our team. Because this is how it goes. He fits the profile perfectly of, like, slap hitter, John Birdie, like, just pisses you off to no end. And, like, the discourse will definitely ensue from it. It will also be for the sake of creating discourse, right? We'll talk about how he's the one that got away. Um, I mean, he'll end the season batting, like, 240, 290, 360 or something. And, and you know, no one will really notice that because he had a couple really good games against the Mets, probably. This is how they the story tends to go with guys the Mets get rid of, even the ones who aren't necessarily – threats to to really like do damage elsewhere yeah Um, like what's gonna happen probably i'll tell you right now it will be a game it will be there will be a series against the marlins in september the mets will be in the pennant race the marlins will not be in the pennant race the mets will win two out of three in that series probably Mm -hmm. the first two and then in the sunday game in the third game of that series the marlins will effectively play spoiler on the back of a jake mangum who goes two for four with a two-run double and a stolen base off David Robertson? Something like that. Yeah. It's got to be off David. Like we gotta, we gotta like completely chisel out the in here, or off Jeff Brigham. Bold to assume he'll still be on the roster by then, but I think he'll probably be. If he I is, mean, I don't think he's giving up hits to Jake Mangum. That's my reasoning. What if? What if I play the optimist here and say that he's pitching in that situation because he's had a really good year? And this is the the unraveling, or just one bad moment, right? Yeah, like the team will do very well next year. I don't think this is gonna like, yeah. I it, I don't know. I'm very after that Brave series. I'm very on the lookout for like what's gonna what one series because it really was inside of like a week that things went from super happy to super bleak. Um, and what was the recurring theme all season up to that point? It was pretty much like. This team doesn't let up. Like, we keep thinking it's going to end, and then it never ends, and then it ended. Yeah. It came really, really close. Um, I think they're in a good state going into next year. I think that if they finish the rotation and they do a, a few little clear patches in the bullpen, because, like, I don't think there's any depth guy out there who's going to – when I say depth guy, I mean, like, a William Woods – I don't think there's anyone out there right now who's going to adequately do what like Trevor Williams did last year. You should just sign uh, whoever that equivalent is going to be, or, even if it's yeah. Trevor Williams. Yeah, um, I'm with you there. I think the answer there is literally Trevor Williams, unless you think like Tyler McGill can do that, and I don't. I don't. But I'd rather see what McGill can do in like a Lugo role, honestly. Um, uh, we'll see. I think I that's a little bit of a baptism by fire situation. So maybe they really need to like get get him up there, ramped up. He did um, not look good as a reliever at the end of the year. Yeah, but that was that was like a sample of like an inning and two thirds or something. It was bad. I I think he was I think he was still hurt. That's my stance on it. Um, because the stuff didn't even look great. Uh. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I think that really the priority right now, if you want to bring it home, is to sign Kodai Senga. Um, I think, yeah, and I because I think he's better than Bassett, and I think that he serves a purpose that you really, really need now that you've established that the rest of your rotation is go- is older 
uh, than Taiwan Walker, uh, you know, and, and pitchers of that nature, uh, you know, you're going to need, you're going to need to finish it off with a, a really solid number three. Um, and then you just, you know, you sign Trevor Williams and maybe you, you swing a trade or you bring in one more guy uh, for the pen. The options aren't great. I liked Chris Martin, but he's gone. I kind of like Carlos Estevez, but the Angels will probably ruin him. Um, Michael Fulmer, maybe, might be one of the more expensive options. But again, maybe, maybe, money maybe, uh, doesn't matter. Maybe there's other trades to be made? Yeah, could be. Hopefully no one super important gets gets thrown in there. But if it happens, I guess, you know, if, if they have to – I just hope it's not anyone on the big league roster. That's my thing. Like if you have to trade Jake Mangum, if you have to trade, um, you know, Wyatt Young. Sure. Sure. Listen, right? I, I don't want to sound greedy. Yeah. However, I am banging on the clipboard, repeatedly chanting Sanga, Sanga, Sanga. I want it. I want to watch him pitch. I want guy who throw hard and also throw good splitter. I think it will be very fun. I would like it quite a bit. Uh, especially if it increases the Mets odds of signing Shohei Otani next offseason. Do it. Yeah. Um, do it. Put it put it out there. I will I'll go on record right now and say that. By opening day 2024, one of Shohei Otani or Rafael Devers will be New York Mets. That's interesting. Like, they got to get one. The two top free agents, they got to get one. I don't think the Red Sox extend Devers. So, I, I make it happen. Stevie, open the checkbook. You know that Steve is salivating. Over Shohei Otani. For Shohei, yes. I think Otani is probably more realistic than Devers. But if uh, yeah. if Beatty doesn't break out this year, it doesn't show signs of breaking out, then third base is still a hole. Right. Well, then the question becomes, who do you put in a package for Devers? Right? Because there's the... Well, he's a free... I mean, yeah, you could... Oh, yeah, right. He is a free... I thought they... He yeah. He be a deadline guy. Yeah. I mean, the op- the other reason why the Red Sox are really, like, conservatively spending is because they want to make sure they don't fumble the bag with Devers, but I don't know. I That's not really Bloom's thing, right? Because they very much fumbled the bag with Mookie Betts, so. And with Bogarts. And with yeah. Bogarts, that's right. They had a, it sounded really like like, a, like Bogarts wanted to come back, and he was at the table, and they, uh, they under-offered him by a considerable amount. It sounds like their top offer on, on Bogarts was like six, maybe seven years. It was something like that. They were not only beneath what the Padres were offering, but they were beneath with, um, oh my God, what are they called? What are they called? Bobby Bonilla thing. Um, you mean, uh, deferred deferrals 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 right they were deferring his contract way down the line and that amount that it was going to grow to was still less than what the Padres were offering like it was you, you can't win with that um no you joke you, that's you laugh at that if you're yeah. Sandra Bogarts 
and well it's also probably like very sad for him in some way because you would think that your team values you more than that and um I don't know that's not to say it's not interesting to see what the Padres are doing because this is like you know I think they now to have him on a team with Manny Machado Juan Soto and also Fernando Tatis Jr who I understand is a wild card, but I think has a general baseline ability to do damage. Um, like, I don't think it can't all be steroids, right? There's no way it's all steroids. Having those four in a lineup, it's not what the Phillies are, but it's one of those, it's a little bit like, I think the hitting equivalent to what we talked about with a DeGrom Scherzer one, two, if you're, when we were talking about those two together, like the, if everybody there is in full swing, uh, that's deadly. Yeah, it's a good lineup. If Tatis comes back and, like, is still nearing all-star capabilities, then it's a very, very good lineup. Yeah. And uh, they'll, they'll, you know, they should compete. I mean, the pitching staff is still good. They should compete. Yeah. All right, so it's been roughly an hour since the Mets signed anybody pretty much um I I don't think anything else is gonna happen tonight I hope I'm wrong because I want Kodai Senga but yeah I think we're uh, probably nearing the stopping point should we remember some guys I'm down to remember some guys let's remember some guys so all right uh well I went you went first last time I think I sort of yeah you into going first last time so I'm going to one thing I didn't actually know about Jose Quintana for context is that he had actually been in the Met organization yeah. when he was first signed. This was in 2006. Um, I'm trying to find it. Yeah. Yeah. Originally signed with them. This is courtesy of Jacob Resnick, who's always on this stuff. He's really, really good on it. Played one season in the Venezuelan Summer League and then was released. Um, and now he's back in the organization. And I was thinking about guys that, you know, had been in the Met organization long before returning to the Met organization at some point. And, um, you know, it wasn't like that long ago relative to when he came back, but it's always fun to remember that Angel Pagan was actually a two-time Met. Um, it's fun to remember that Angel Pagan was ever a Met. I think, you know, he was super interesting it also ties in well with my you know ridiculous 10 year old reference to the night they traded him which if you didn't pick up my sarcasm was a really stupid front office night because it was the same offseason that jose reyes had gone to the marlins um and once that happened uh angel pagan was probably the next best offensive player they had behind david wright and He'd had a down year in 2011 and he was becoming more expensive in the RB years and the Wilpons were completely dried out by Bernie Madoff. So they asked Sandy Alderson to do his magic and Sandy traded him for basically like a 35 year old outfielder named Andres Torres, who could switch hit, but couldn't really hit from either side could play the field but and could run a little, but he had lower body issues and missed a lot of time with injuries, maybe because he was 35. Like, and Angel Pagan turned out to be extremely useful for the Giants. Um, 
who would have who would have seen that coming right i mean he literally won a ring the year after um and had a had a pretty extensive career with them like about i think it was five years that he was a giant um yeah what was he their starting center fielder on their 2012 team i think so yeah they had Melky Cabrera in left, and they had um, Hunter Pence in right, and I'm pretty sure the center fielder was Pagan. He might have been center fielder in 2014, also. All right, I'm. I'm he might have two up. rings. I mean, I I would venture to wage that he definitely is more remembered as a Giant now than as a Met. Yeah. Even though, I mean, he had some moments as a Met. He had some great moments. He had like a like ten triples in a year with the Mets, a year where he played like. 70 games or something um he had he had 11 triples in 2009 how many in games 88, was 88 games yeah like it was absurd um he uh he back up to beltron and then once they traded beltron i guess he had some time before because like jason bay got a bunch of concussions so they always found a place to put him in but like he should have been getting a lot more of a look um the mets didn't know where to put him in the batting order he was a good player, and they kind of yeah. They didn't know if he was a, they didn't know if he was a leadoff guy or if he was an eight hitter or if he was a two hitter. If he was yep. a six hitter. He he actually led the NL in triples in 2012 with the Giants. Yeah, um, which probably looks like yeah, it was his best year with the Giants. Was his first year with the Giants mm-hmm. in 2012. 154 games. He had 15 triples. Uh, I remember him hitting for a little bit more power than this. He only had eight homers that year. But he hit 288. Well, yeah. He hit 12 homers in 2016 in his last year. He hit 11 homers in 2010 with the Mets. I, I think the most memorable home run that he hit was probably the walk-off in the yeah. game in which Gary Keith and Ron were broadcasting from the Pepsi porch. Mm-hmm. And he hit it up there to, to win yeah. the game. That was against the Cardinals? Yeah, it was against the Cardinals. That was pretty cool. He, uh, Yeah, he was fun. Did he hit – he hit an inside-the-park home run at one point. I don't yeah. remember. That was for the Mets or was it against the Mets? It was for the Mets. I'm pretty sure it was for the Mets. He might have – he hit one like – he hit a walk-off inside the parker for the Giants that okay. was really, really cool. Because, um, so like, you know, he slid in head first and won the game, and, like, those things happen, like, once every 10 years. Yeah, Tyler Naquin, I think, is the last one to do that. Yeah. When Met, he was Met Tyler Naquin. Free agent. Um, I don't know if I want Tyler Naquin back, but I don't want Tyler Naquin back. Okay, who do you got? Um, thinking about also in the kind of similar vein, thinking about Jose Quintana, and thinking about players whose last name starts with the letter Q, who have played for the Mets. I think and I know where you're going with this. You you have to because I mean he simply has to have been someone we've remembered before. Like he has to be right. Well, there's also the TikTok uh, slideshow. Yes. yes, the Dylan Hornick's TikTok slideshow of he beat me to that, dude. I was like making a bunch of them. Run it back, man. I mean, why not? His was good. His I don't. Was his good. Was... So we're remembering Omar Quint- uh, Quintanilla. What was the meme again? Omar Quintanilla. It was Omar Quintanilla had 359 plate appearances for the 2013 Mets. <laughs> That's terrible. It's true. Career high in plate appearances. Oh, I believe that. I definitely believe it was a career high. You wanna? Can you wager a guess as to what his uh, triple slash looked like? 
Uh, yeah, let's go 230, 280, 275. I'm going to say his slugging was lower than his on base. You would be correct that his slugging was lower than his on base. Beautiful. You were not all that far off. I'm going to add on to this. Yeah. Give me a, give me his OPS plus. Uh, oh, geez. Cause he was a shortstop, right? So it's probably factored differently or is no, that's WRC plus OPS plus is just a raw OPS metric. Yeah. I just um, got, his, I just got his B ref up 60. Wow. You're actually being a little mean to him. It was 70. Okay. Triple slash. You said the batting average was 230. He close. He hit 222. Okay. Uh, you you undershot the on base percentage though. You okay. said you said 280 on the on base percentage. He was above 300. He was at 306. Okay. Okay. And you, and you were pretty close as well on the slugging too. You said 275. He was 283. So you undershot that one by a little bit. Yeah. Well, OPS, we talk- uh, OPS yeah. was 589. And the OPS plus was 70. Yeah. That's, I mean, look, you lose Jose Reyes and you you just never replace him, I guess. That's what happens. Yeah, talk about glaring differences. I mean, like I said earlier on the podcast, this, uh, this new Mets regime doesn't leave glaring holes open. Uh, that is a glaring hole that they left open for years, that shortstop mm-hmm. spot. Um, I, even yeah. still, they went to the World Series without a real shortstop. Wilmer yeah. Flores and Ruben Tejada, no offense to them, they weren't cutting it. Not really, at mm. least. Well, yeah, I mean, Wilmer was not cutting it defensively. It's funny, like, Tejada was sort of the defense option they had there at short, and he couldn't play defense. So it didn't really – it didn't really make much sense. I don't – I mean, God, yeah. It's one nice thing, one underrated thing, I think, about – this team being where it is now from a payroll perspective the guy remembering ages beautifully like fine wine yeah because these guys will never ever be you'll never see an omar quintanilla on the mets again you know what i mean like not at the same level of prominence no he would imagine omar quintanilla would never get 359 plate appearances like we're still gonna remember like how horrible Darren Ruff's 2022 was for the Mets after the trade. But we're going to look back on and be like, yeah, that was not good, but at least it, he we'll be hit. mad about that. We'll be bitter about that. But like, I'm not bitter about Omar Quintanilla. No, it was, it's just goofy. Like yeah. the tone of remembering guys is going to be different. And it's also a little bit different because you, you don't have the huge sample anymore. Like, you know, it's just, he's just a dude, you know, Quintanilla, yeah. just a guy. And we yeah. wish him well. Omar Quintanilla, uh, who was a first-round draft pick, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. By by who? To who? For what? <laughs> Oakland A's, oh. 2003. That's a money ball. That's a money ball pick, dude. So That's he- crazy to think that there might have been a scene in the Aaron Sorkin film where Billy Bean is in a is in a, Brad Pitt's in a room with Jonah Hill, and they got an Omar Quintanilla little label that they're throwing on the board. It's yeah, we want to select him 33rd overall. We can't replace Tejada, but we can replace him in the aggregate. <laughs> yep. Talking Miguel Tejada, but yeah. Yes, uh, not Ruben. Out of the University of Texas at Austin. Nice. 
he wore three different uniform numbers for the Mets. Can you can you guess all three? Now you're really pushing my my niche uh, knowledge of of the Mets. I'm gonna guess that one of them is like zero because it's a stupid number. Correct. He did wear zero. Oh like 20, my god! So he had a different number in each of the three seasons he spent with the Mets: 2012, 2013, and 2014. He mm. wore zero in 2014. So. Yeah. Oh my God! Wait, he got another year with them after 2013. You're goddamn right, he did. Oh my God! He only appeared in 15 games. Okay, but he still did uh, keep his uh, roster spot, his 40 man spot. That's beautiful. That's on having a clubhouse presence. <laughs> it's on not wanting to spend money on a better player. That's on thrifty baseball. It's a money. It's- do you think Sandy Alderson was on that because of the Moneyball connection? He might have been familiar with him. Yeah, I'm sure he was. In Damn. a sense. Okay, well, give me the numbers, Jack. What? The 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 other numbers he wore. Oh, I don't know the other. I just guessed zero. You got zero. That's one of them. Okay. I uh, 69. You got one of the digits. Nine with your, with your joke answer. Nah, he wore six. Okay. He also wore three. Six, three, and zero. I don't know how you expected me to, to know those, but it's it's right here on this B riff. I'm just looking at it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's did he have three years on any other team? Yeah, actually. I mean, he didn't make it to the majors as an A. He made it to the majors with the Rockies. Was he in the no way? Was he in the Matt Holiday trade? I don't think so. Well, he he debuted in 2005 with the Rockies. He spent parts of the next five seasons in Colorado. He never played. Holiday was like 08 or 07, I thought. I just, I'm trying to think of significant trades between the A's and Rockies. The Holiday trade also had uh, that that closer in it. Uh, It was Houston Okay, well, I've got the trade up here. Okay, Carlos was, Gonzalez was in it, I think. Yes, yes, that was that was that. Uh, it was Eric Burns going with him to the Rockies for Joe Kennedy and Jay Witasick. Wow, they traded him for the president. <laughs> no way. I think we're talking about the left-handed pitcher. No, that's John Kennedy. No, Joe Kennedy is also a left-handed pitcher. No, Joe Kennedy was the president, Sam. No, different Joe Kennedy, Jack. This one, as far as I'm aware, didn't get shot in the head. No, Joe Brandon Kennedy. Oh my God, this Joe Kennedy is not alive either. You fuck. No, you didn't. This is that's he's done. He's done. He's fired. We should probably put a picture. Get him out of here. Get this man out of here. Get this man out of my sight. Well, that's a mistake. I apologize to the family of left-handed pitcher Joe Kennedy. Oh God. Yeah. Well, we'll uh we'll we'll That's a good place to put a pin in it, as you say. That's yeah, I think so. Anyways, this is episode 105. <laughs> I'm checking my phone one last time. I'm just making sure that they didn't sign anybody else. Uh doesn't look like they have at the moment. As of 9.57 p.m. on Thursday, December the 8th, 
Uh, Brandon Nimmo is a Met, so is David Robertson. We're very happy about that. Uh, Justin Verlander is a Met. Jose Quintana is a Met. Uh, Brooks Raley is a Met. Uh, Zach Green is a Met. We got some new Mets. We're pretty thrilled over here with the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. He's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lovitz. Give us a follow on Twitter at the PGE Pod. Go back, listen to previous episodes. If you'd like, even though they might not be as timely anymore, it's fun to look back in retrospect and see what kind of shenanigans we were getting up to and discussions we were having on matters that are now presently uh, taken care of across baseball. This is episode 105. It's in the books. And Mets fans, have a pleasant day. Oh, 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 oh,